Hello and welcome to Pearls and Wisdom. There will be stories about people, life, experience, mental well-being and shooting the breeze with some very interesting people. There may be some swearing so be mindful if there are little ears around. If you want to get in contact send an email to pearlsandwisdom at aol.com or follow the Instagram page at pearlsandwisdom where we'll be posting some of the material we cover in the episodes. Thanks for listening. So the work of Alfred Adler is often forgotten. It's difficult to understand how different the academic world was in those days, but no internet, no telephone, no radio, no TV. Information travelled slowly, and yet in a few short years after 1900, the work of Freud, Jung and Adler began to have a major impact on the way in which people who had non-physical troubles were treated. It's also interesting to note how deeply the early life experiences of these three pioneers in psychology moulded and sculpted their particular understandings of the way our minds work and the theories which they later elaborated. So back to Alfred Adler. So like Freud, Adler was an Austrian and his initial training was in general medicine. And in 1901, at Freud's invitation, he joined what was called the Wednesday Group. It was a relatively informal discussion group concentrating on the emerging science of psychology, whose members included Freud, Carl Jung and Wilhelm Steckel. However, as each member of the group developed his own theories, tensions developed and in 1911 Adler and his camp followers split away, followed soon afterwards by Jung and his group. Adler speculated that an individual's social context and situation had as much to do with his psychological health as the influences of his childhood and his particular sexual drives. Adler was essentially socialist in nature and was one of the first to remark on the way that gender politics, so feminism as a reaction to masculine domination, permeated through society. Now, his basic notes of interest are that birth order influences the development of lifestyle, inferiority complex, superiority results from striving to overcome inferiority, lifestyle developed in childhood compensates for inferiority and weakness, and his primary therapeutic approach is of encouragement. So if we look at the order of birth and personality, the eldest child, the child suddenly has to share their parents' attention when the second sibling arrives and if, excuse me, if, if proper transition does not occur, the firstborn may become insecure and dislike people. But if proper transition occurs they'll be responsible dependable hard-working and achievement orientated so generally the firstborn child will have a more rapid language acquisition they'll achieve better grades in school and higher scores and iq tests um is more achievement orientated and socially responsible 
the later kids are usually less cautious, have better peer relationships and are more confident in social situations. But the second child, now depending on the size of the family, from the beginning of their life they share attention and compete with the older sibling. They're often ambitious. The middle child, like middle children, often feel left out and develop poor me attitudes. The youngest can be spoiled, easily influenced, and often develop in directions not thought of by others. And then an only child can be accustomed to centre stage, and these people may not learn to share and cooperate but they do relate and deal well with adults. Now these were his theories. It might necessarily be true, but you can see traits in a lot of people based on where they came in the birth order. So if we go to the inferiority complex, The fact is that most of us tend to second-guess ourselves and in the process, by bringing out an irrational fear, we sabotage ourselves. The culprit, the unmistakable source, the cause of it all is called the inferiority complex. What is bad for our lives is that instead of owning up to our failures and shortfalls, we tend to... The culprit, the unmistakable source, the cause of it all, is called the inferiority complex. What is bad for our lives is that instead of owning up to our failures and shortfalls, we tend to pass the buck or blame someone else. If we fall short of getting that promotion, we blame the competitor who got promoted. If we fail to close that sale, we blame the product, its high price, the lack of advertising, or even the cheap client or the tight-fisted customer. There was a novelist called H.P. Lovecraft that said that the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And self-doubt is a form of fear that causes us to play the blame game. So Adler, as opposed to Sigmund Freud believed that striving for superiority is the most basic human drive, not sexuality. Everyone is always striving to be better than others. It is not that we are jealous of others, nor that we are envious or whatever. It's that we are born to feel superior. This feeling of striving for perfection is what motivates humans to achieve their potential. He theorized that our self-perceptions as being superior or inferior were extremely important in the way we interacted with others. This line of thought, together with his socialist leanings, led him to be one of the first to do away with the analyst's couch. Instead, he simply used two chairs in his consultations so that the therapist and clients would react as equals not the way psychiatry has often been shown on TV. Now, back to birth order. For 
his theories on parenting and social involvement, there were some of the most powerful influences on Western social thought in the mid-20th century. His early collaboration with Freud and Jung inevitably coloured his own thinking, and his primary contribution to psychological thought was his theory that human personality and behaviour was inherently goal-directed, driven by some inner force, and that very early in life we develop goals which we strive to achieve. Of course, we can't always achieve what our minds would want us to, and really, might have some awful social consequences if we could. But he thought that the goals of the self, which can be quite extreme, were moderated by the social and ethical demands of the particular society in which we live. As we aim to achieve these goals, there is a constant balancing and counterbalancing between the feelings of inferiority and superiority we experience in relation to our particular situation and in our relationships with others. The results of these balancing mechanisms lead us to display quite distinctive behaviours. So he, he coined the term inferiority complex to describe one of the main dynamics of the situation. And if we feel slightly inferior to, other, inferior to others in a given area, this is often a spur to action and improvement. Unfortunately, however, if the action taken is a gross overcompensation for the reality, instead of just producing great achievements, it can produce really bizarre behaviour. If the feeling of inferiority is extreme, it can simply act as a disincentive to any effort at improvement, leaving the person with even lower self-esteem. Much of his inferiority complex theory is derived from his initial studies on organ inferiority and compensation. He noticed that when an organ in the body lacks strength, other organs tend to develop very well so they can, in a way, compensate for the inferiority of the first organ. So later, he would apply the same logic for the inferiority complex, which refers to the psychological feeling of inferiority to others that a person can develop. Adler sees a complex of inferiority pretty much a natural occurrence. He states that all children manifest a primary feeling of inferiority generated by noticing their shortcomings in comparison with the capable and well-developed adults. If the child manages to compensate for his shortcomings and improve as a person, he overcomes this feeling. If not, he will build up an inferiority complex and later in life, other shortcomings as an adult can create again further inferiority complex. And in his view, compensation is a very important mechanism. It's through compensation that a person manages a complex of inferiority and overcomes their weaknesses. 
when a person feels inferior in some way, they're motivated to achieve great success in some other area of their life, to create a balance and achieve satisfaction. Often, according to this view, a person's extraordinary results are an attempt to compensate for a certain inferiority. It can be a negative feeling. It can lead to destructive behaviour patterns, but it can sometimes also lead to constructive compensating ones. A, a very common tale we hear about is the millionaire entrepreneur who was no good in school and dropped out as early as they could. It becomes a badge of honour for them because they knew struggling at school stacked the deck against them. So, when we fall short in our efforts, we tend to compensate that feeling of inadequacy with some really strange behaviour. And for many people, those inabilities and inadequacies become threats to our mental well-being, causing them to lie, belittle, demean or badmouth other people. So this is then an inferiority complex. So to conquer the noxious feelings of inferiority, three factors must be present in our minds. First, we must accept responsibility and not blame anyone for our shortfalls. Second, we must feel good about ourselves and recognise the fact that being ambitious is a good thing. It's a virtue. That we are genetically engineered to aspire to a higher station in life. To say that money and wealth are evil and undesirable is to go against our inner nature. We need it to survive. It is nothing to be ashamed of. Third, we must have faith in our own skills and abilities and compete. We can't win anything if we don't compete. And the more we train and prepare ourselves, the higher the probability that we'll win. There's a quote from someone, and I can't place who at the moment, but go something like this. The more I train, or the more I practice, the luckier I get. So... I'm fairly sure it's in relation to a sports person that luck, a ball bouncing a certain way, can have a huge part of it. But what they said is no. The more I train, the more I practice, the more I control that luck. And that's what makes them better. So what is clear is that there's still a lot of work to be done in psychology in order to reach a good understanding of the inferiority complex, its effects and the best treatment. So Adler's school of thought, which he called individual psychology, is about the ways individuals and society interact. He was a great proponent of sound parenting skills, of a holistic approach to problem solving, and was a considerable supporter of feminist views, something quite unusual for a man of his time. But Conscientiously, he suggested that the way people acted out their feelings of inferiority and superiority formed much of the basis for gender bias and stereotypical masculine or feminine attitudes and styles. But on parenting, probably no one has had a greater impact on 
what is widely regarded as good parenting and child management than Adler. Although he was an extremely good therapist himself, his main interests lay in preventative psychology and in the structure and interaction of families. So he identified two parental styles that were almost certain to cause problems in adulthood. The first was pampering, overprotection of a child, giving them too much attention and protecting them from the harsh reality of life. Children brought up this way are poorly equipped to deal with the tough business of living, they're highly dependent and find it hard to make decisions. Then at the opposite end of the spectrum, Adler thought that the neglected child, one who's given little support, will grow up to fear the world, distrust others and probably find it hard to form sound relationships. Now, personally, I wouldn't agree with him on this because my view is that a child who is pampered can grow up to either follow that trait or see the problems with that and become the opposite, even dictatorial. The same for the neglected child. People react to everything the way their mind tells them to. A child who falls from a height could either become afraid of heights or look for more of that for the sake of getting a thrill or pushing themselves. So Adler would argue that all behaviour comes from our need to belong and be significant. And as parents, parents have an important part to play in their children's ability to achieve these ideals by the way they encourage or discourage them. Children learn to belong and have a sense of value by cooperation and contribution. Firstly, within the home and then in the wider community. The task is to encourage children so that they learn to overcome challenges and to experience satisfaction in their own achievement while limiting the temptation to overpraise, which trains a child to grow up trying to please others. When children are pampered, they're taught that the world is there to serve them, and this disempowers them and doesn't, it doesn't prepare them for life's challenges. Many children grow up believing that the world owes them. However, when a child experiences love, security, trust, encouragement and belief in their capabilities, the chance, the chance is that they will grow up into a, a confident, happy and capable adult with the ability to achieve their goals. It's normal for teens or in-betweens to go through a period of trying to define who they are and to distinguish themselves from their parents as individuals in their own right. It is important for us or it's important for parents to understand what is influencing their behaviour and to keep the lines of communication open. For teens, it's a time of exploration, making mistakes and learning from them. It's important for parents to understand the role in guiding children into adulthood. The time of the dictatorial parent is fairly gone. Today, values of self-respect, responsibility, creativity and cooperation are eventually adopted by young people primarily because these are the values in the significant adults within their lives that they admire. 
Now, at the time Adler was introducing his ideas on democratic parenting to the world, the old order was changing. The First World War had almost swept away inherited privilege and the rigid sense of class. People were, they were beginning to expect their voices to be heard, and this fitted well with what Adler thought was good for the family. He believed that successful parenting was based on mutual respect. Parents who show respect for the child while winning respect for them teach the child to respect themselves and others. Encouragement. It implies faith in and respect for the child as they are. Natural and logical consequences. Allowing the child to experience and learn from the actual result of their own behaviour. Natural consequences are the direct result of a child's behaviour. For example, Tommy refuses to wear a coat while he's raining. He will get wet. Independence. Never do for a child what they can do for themselves. A dependent child is a demanding child. And children who become irresponsible only when we fail to give them opportunities to take on responsibility. Now, Adler's views survive today as the core of good parenting. There have been advances, of course, but Adler lit the torch and lots of his points are the kind of things you'd see parents of really well-rounded kids do. It's like when you see those shows like Super Nanny or those kind of things when you have this unruly group of kids and then this strange woman with a foreign accent and a weird looking car and a whole camera crew land into their house and the kids are like what the fuck is going on here of course they're going to react and do what they're told because this person is new and that will work in the short term but the principles that those kind of people land in and say is about clear boundaries giving the children responsibility showing them respect getting respect back in turn all of these are part of Adler's theories and that's why they still stick today as best practice now I've said it before I'll say it again and I will continue to keep banging this drum and this is what, what I'll leave you with today psychological perspectives and approaches are like fitness programs they don't suit everyone so feel free to sample and pick from each what you feel you believe in or what works for you take care and that's it because of my own anxiety issues, reading comments about how it is would send me into overdrive, so please, I would ask that you leave no reviews at all. But if you do want to get in contact, please send an email to pearlsandwisdom at aol.com or follow the Instagram page at pearlsandwisdom, where we'll be posting some of the material we cover in the episodes. Stay safe, stay happy, chat soon.